Wait a second. Oh no. Oh crap. excited for tonight because I sure am. That works too, I guess. Uh, I hope you like chicken. I hope you like fettuccine alfredo because I like to get fancy with some people. Uh, and then after that, uh, we can go watch a movie. We got romance. We got suspense. We got thrillers. Or we can just watch a TV show. Um, I mean, I got Netflix, so I got whatever TV series pretty much that we want to watch. Uh, so you ready to go? Yeah. Sweet. Oh, let me check that real quick. Oh, it's from you. How did I miss that one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Mm. -hmm. Okay. Um. Okay. Mm. Okay. Talk about uncomfortable. It's when you know what she's really thinking, right? Well, last week we talked about the lazy boy experience, right? We said that the lazy boy is great, that the lazy boy is wonderful, that the lazy boy is like it, and that all of us need some time in the lazy boy. All of us, at one time or another, we need to pull back, we need to unwind, we need to relax a little bit. But, but friends, we didn't end there. This is what I'm starting to figure out. This is what I think God is teaching me, and this is what I think sometimes that we're missing in our life. That God did not call us to spend our life in a lazy boy experience. That God called us to something more and something different and something bigger than that. That God called us to this thing called the cross. Did you hear this? That God called us out of the lazy boy to get moving in our lives, to be part of something bigger than our own little life, to pick up a cross and to what? To follow him. To pick up a cross and to follow him. To go where he would lead us, to do what he would have us to do. Now, now friends, pause this for a second because I realize that there might be some new to the life of our church here and you walk in and you're already going, honey, we're not coming back here ever again because these people are a little bit over the top already. They're already talking about a cross and cross means death and cross kills people and that sort of a thing. And so I think we're going to go find another church next week. Please don't do that. Please hear me out with an open heart today. Because it was Jesus himself who said, if you want your life to connect with his. If you want to somehow be able to bear his name, if somehow you, if you want people to see him inside of you, then he said, you must deny yourself. And I want you to think about this for a second. We're not so good in the denial category, are, are we? we? We deny ourselves very little. The, the truth of the matter is that for most of us, we say, I want to do what I want when I want. And don't tell me what to do. Don't push me into something I don't want to do. I get all that. We, we say, I want to be comfortable. I, I, want to, I want to rule my own life. But Jesus comes along. It's not me. It's Jesus who comes along and says, if you want your life to connect with his life, if you want to know him, if you want to reflect him to the world around you, then somehow you must become less. He must become more. You must somehow deny yourself, pick up a what? A cross and follow him that your life somehow must be in motion, that it must be moving somewhere toward 
him. And so friends, I hope that you don't mind that, that we push you to be a little comfortable with being uncomfortable. I, I want your soul to be restless, to have a growing restlessness inside of you. As you move toward God, as you try to figure out how to follow him in this world, I want a restlessness to take over you because God wants us in motion toward him. God wants to move us out of this lazy boy type of an experience where most of us reside most of the time to getting into the kingdom game, to following him more fully with our lives. So I hope you become very comfortable with being uncomfortable and that you will let the spirit of God no matter where you've come from, no matter what place you're at, even tonight in this room, that you would let the Spirit of God speak into your heart. That you would listen for his voice in your life. And that you would be careful to follow him. I want you to think about this little phrase. You hear it around Christians a lot. You hear it about around church life a lot. Uh, but it's this little phrase, glory to God. Have you ever heard this? Uh, you've heard this, right? Glory to God. I mean, like, glory to God, woman. You look nice tonight. Right? Glory to God, I got a, I got a raise. Glory to God, I got that job. Right? You, you've heard this, right? Anybody? You, you've heard glory to God? Some people do this. They say, hey, 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 man, I just want my life to glorify him. You, you've heard this, right? I, I just want my whole life to bring glory to God. And, and I want you to think about what this really means. What are we really saying? Because church language can be weird. Church language can be strange. You get around some Christians, they start saying these weird things. And, and, and the truth is, though, there are probably some of us in this very room who, by self-identity, by self-identifying with the cause of Christ, you say, I want my life to glorify God. Anybody in the room would say, I want my life to glorify God. But what does that really mean? Well, the great apostle Paul who God used to spread his fame throughout the Roman world some 2,000 years ago. He brought us much of the New Testament part of the Bible. God used this man in exceptional ways. Well, he gets around this phrase, glory to God, and he, he echoes it, he, he magnifies it, he, he, he kind of blows it up and he says, if you want to know the glory of God, if you somehow want, when people look at you, if, you, if, if people are seeing you and, and listening to you and watching you, that somehow you are bringing glory to God, bringing them to God's glory, then he says that means something. And here's what he says. I want you to follow me on this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. You don't have to turn there. Trust me. This is in the Bible. All right? I'm going to put it up on the screens for you. And I just want you to read it with me. Just think about these words. Here, here's what Paul says, pointing to the glory of God. He says, you want to know what it's all about? You want to know where it all ends? This is what he says. He says, for it is God this is beautiful. He says, for it is God who said, let, let light shine out in darkness. And by the way, that's what we're doing here tonight, right? We're here celebrating the fact that light shined into our darkness. Anybody? You're here celebrating the fact that when you look around in this world, it is dark. You don't have to be like a scientist to figure it out. But this world is dark and broken. And we're celebrating that there is this remnant of light here. You hear me? That God is still at work somehow, at least in our own little life that he's still shining into our life. We're here to celebrate this. And it says, for God who said, let light shine out in darkness has made his light to shine where, friends? Where? 
in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the what? Of the glory of God. He says, you want to know what the knowledge of the glory of God is? You want, to, you want God to be glorified in your life? You want to know what it's all about? He says, listen, this is so critical. You do not want to miss this. He says, it is found in the face of who? It is found in the face of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying um, about God's glory, he's saying, yeah, God's glory is big and it's out there. You look at the universe, it is huge and it is growing and it is, it is invading all time and all space for all generations. It's absolutely out there. And when I look at some of the things in this created world, I go glory to God. I, I just, I love a mountain. I love lakes and rivers and, and, and oceans and those sorts of magnificent things. When I stand in front of them, I just go, whew, glory to God. But listen, he says, when you want to see the fullness of God's glory, you want to see the bigness of God's glory. You want to see the purity and at its, at its best. He says, it's not found in a place or a thing. It's not even a phrase that we say. The glory of God is a person and his person name is Jesus. He is the glory of God made flesh, who made his dwelling among us. He is the fullness of God. You want to know who God is? You want to know who his glory is? If you want your life to reflect his life, then you got to get around Jesus. You got to know him. You see, friends, listen, a whole bunch of us say we want to glorify God in our life. And when I say that, I'm coming to understand that what that means is that when I have people look at me and when they listen to me, when they see me and my little family, I want them to see the face of Christ in my life. I want them to see not something different in my life, but someone different in my life. Not a phrase, but I want them to see the person whose name is Jesus, who is the exact image of God's glory and the exact radiance of his being. You see, friends, when I, when I think about my little life, in the 70 odd years I might get on planet earth. My hope is that I will have leveraged those years for the glory of God so that when it's all said and done, people will say that they saw Jesus, the face of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the person of Jesus alive inside of me. And I want to invite us as a church and as a people into this intimate kind of relationship where there is a oneness of spirit where it's not just knowing about God or the, about the things of God, but that we know him, that we do life with him, and that eventually his name, because we love him so much, because we desire to be so close to him, that his name literally drips off of our lips, that it is sweet for us to speak his name, Jesus the glory of God, the glory of God made flesh. So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this for a second. Whatever you talk about most in life, listen to me, is what matters most to you. Do you get this? Whatever you go on and on and on and on about is what matters most and most and most to you. It's what, it's what you think of when you first get up in the morning. It's what you think of when you go to bed at night. It's what rumbles through your veins. Listen, we say, I want, I want to bring glory to God with my life. But the truth is, there's a whole bunch of other stuff rumbling around. And what you talk most about in life 
is what matters most in your life. What you talk most about is what you bring most glory to in your life. And there's a whole bunch of us who, who say we want it to be Jesus, that he matters most to us. But the truth is, is when I look at my own life and examine my own life and my own little conversations, when I look at some of the conversations of people who are around me, who, who say that they believe and who say they want to follow him, the truth is that we don't speak his name very much. No, 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 no. Listen, we, we speak about the things of Jesus. We, we speak about Christian things. There's a lot of Christian talk that goes around. We talk about Christian CDs and Christian bands and Christian books and Christian churches and Christian preachers and Christian speakers who really touch our lives. And we talk about Christian theology, a thought that has somehow transformed us. And we go, wow, that's good. And that's so good. And he's so good. And that song, woo, that song, that song. Oh man, that Christian song. But frankly, friends, I don't hear a lot of people talking about Jesus. Because, friends, it is not a song that's going to change the world. It's not even like a great Christian church that's going to change the world. It's not a preacher. It's not a book. It's not a CD. It's not a building. It's not a youth group. There's only one thing that's going to change the world. There's only one thing that's going to change your heart. There's only one thing that's going to change the heart of your children. There's only one thing that's going to change the direction of your marriage, the direction of your future. The only one thing that's going to change it. And it's not any of the things that we spend most of our time talking about. It's the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. Are you hearing me, friends? We can talk about Christian stuff and the stuff of the kingdom. And the stuff of God all day long. But you just don't run out in the world, even in our little world here, out in these hallways. And you don't run into a lot of people who are talking about the name of Jesus. And listen to me, friends. We, we got to get this because at the end of the day, our mission is not to connect people to, to a song our mission is not to connect people to a band. Our mission is not to connect people to a preacher, a speaker, a church, a youth group. Our mission is not to connect people even to a set of values or principles or even a set of core beliefs. You realize this. Our mission is to connect people to a savior. His name is Jesus. And friends, listen, a song has never changed anybody's eternity. A preacher has never changed anybody's eternity. A Christian book has never changed anybody's eternity. Only Jesus can do that. And friends, I'm just so afraid that as a Christian church that sings about and teaches about and writes about Jesus, we forget that he is the only hope of this world. And you see this all through the scriptures, that he is the only hope. I want to drop into the book of Matthew chapter nine. If you got a Bible or a smartphone, I would love for you to turn there. Matthew chapter nine. And it's an incredible little book. This, this book was written by a guy named Matthew. It bears his name, right? It's the gospel according to Matthew. And Matthew was a man who spent most of his life very far from the heart of God. Um, Incredible story. He, 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 he becomes a follower. One day Jesus comes and connects with him. He has this encounter with Jesus, this man who is very, very far from the heart of God. Has this moment with Jesus where Jesus calls him to drop everything and come and follow after him. And Matthew, this despised Roman 
tax collector decides that what he has been running after in life was not as valuable, uh, uh, valuable as what Jesus was calling him to. And so he drops literally everything. It's almost inconceivable to us because he found something better and he goes after Jesus. And so the book of Matthew is an amazing thing and you should read it because, because it is a firsthand account of a firsthand follower of Jesus. Think about this. It was a story of what it was like to follow the rabbi, to follow after him. It's an amazing thing. So you get all these insights. And so in the book of Matthew chapter nine, we're just gonna kind of drop into it and kind of work our way through it. I'm gonna give you the front half a little bit. Um, when, when this whole chapter opens up, um, it's, it's pretty incredible because uh, Jesus starts his day off by healing somebody who was paralyzed, like, like you do every day, right? I mean, you, you do that, right? You get up and you go heal the person who can't walk. You don't do that? Well, Jesus does. So he gets his day going, he heals this, this, this paralytic, right? And then Matthew does something very interesting. He records his own conversion. He, he tells of the moment he meets Jesus. And it's an amazing story, you should go back and read it. He, he tells this, this story of meeting the Savior and going off and following him. And then um, you think about this, this is a pretty happening chapter. There's like a lot going on already. He's called this new, this pagan guy. He's healed this paralytic. And then he goes on and does some teaching about what, what we would call the kingdom of God. What is it like to know him? And he talks about this thing called fasting and all this cool stuff. And then he just decides to get up and go heal, uh, or bring a dead girl back to life. Like you do. A dead girl back to life. Let me just pick the story up right here because I think you might find this very, very interesting. He, he says, verse 18, Matthew 9, verse 18, he says, while he was saying this, while he was teaching all these things, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. Now, now listen, we can read this kind of stuff and we can, we, we, because we see these sorts of things all the time, we can forget the moment of this. Here's a man, despite he was powerful, despite he had authority, despite he had means, listen, he was a broken father who just lost his little girl. Now, I don't know if you've ever known anybody who's lost a child. There's nothing like it on, plan, on planet Earth. Nothing and here's a man who is desperate for help. And he comes and he finds Jesus. And here's what the scripture says. While he was saying this, a ruler come and kneels before him and says, my daughter has just died. And then listen to this. But if you come, but come and put your hand on her, she will live. Now that's what you call getting the hookup right there. Now that's like an intense sort of faith right there. That's believing in somebody right there. He just doesn't come to Jesus and go, hey, I heard that there were some songs about you that I could sing. Uh, there's some prayers I could, I could say. There, there's some gatherings I could go where they, 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 they kind of get around in your name. No, he says, if you come, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you in the back. He says, if you come, not any of you followers, but he goes, if you come, Jesus, if you come, I know my girl will live. And you got to love Jesus' response. This is what Jesus says. He goes, it says this, that Jesus got up and says, okay. And he went with them. And then it says, and so did his disciples, which I'm thinking, no, duh. I mean, if you're a disciple and you saw Jesus heal the paralytic in the morning, right? And some guy comes and says, I know that if you come, 
My daughter will be, will be made whole again, will live again. And Jesus says to that, yeah, yeah, pretty much. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, hey, Jay, uh, I got some things going around. Hey, Jesus, you know, like, uh, I got some things going on this afternoon. I, I got to go. No, you're calling your, like, if that's me, I am calling Angie on the phone saying, cancel everything. I got something big to do. There's something I got to see. Because I ain't missing this. Jesus is going to go heal, bring back to life a dead girl. So it says in verse 20, just then they're going, they're moving toward this dead girl's house, right? It says, while they're on their way, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. She's thinking to herself, if I just get close to him, I will be healed. This man has something going on. There's something that she's heard. There's something that she's seen. She doesn't know about the dead girl. She's just going, this is the man. This is the rabbi. This is the name of Jesus. That if I get around, I'm hearing things. I'm seeing things. If I get up close to him, something miraculous is going to happen to me. So she gets up close and it says that she reaches out and she touches the edge of his cloak. And when she does this, listen to this, verse 22, it says that Jesus feels this, senses this. And we're not even sure how he senses this, but he turns and he sees her. And I'm not quite sure how he even sees her because like I go out here in this like little lobby thing we got going on, especially like on the weekend deals and it's packed with people. And like, I'm just like, I'm not going to heal a dead girl. I'm just going to go get a pop. And I'm like cutting across and my own little children can come and go, dad, 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 dad. And I don't, I don't even like hear them. I don't even sense that they're like in the room. I don't even sense that they're alive in that moment. I'm getting bumped around and knocked around. It's crowded out there. But Jesus in this moment senses that something miraculous is about to happen. And friends, I just want to humbly submit to you that this is just the way he is. That he cares for the broken that he cares for the hurting, no matter what. And no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're struggling through or going through or about ready to enter into or what you've been through, that he has time for you, that he will stop and turn toward you. And then he says this, take heart, my daughter. Wouldn't that be the coolest thing you ever heard from Jesus? Man, not the daughter part for me and the son, that'd be cool. And he said, Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that very moment. And this isn't even the big event. Like they're on their way to the big event. This is just a little sideshow to show that Jesus cares. That Jesus doesn't overlook us. And then it says this in verse 23, they finally get to the house. And it says, uh, when Jesus entered the the ruler's house, and and you know, pause for a second. We got to break away from this vacation Bible school sort of mentality, this Sunday school flannel graph mentality where we go, oh, you know, because like, listen, I grew up like in the Sunday school and I I saw the whole deal and we had the flannel graph and it's like, Jesus is walking down the road and he comes to the house and they have a dead girl, but they can't see her inside the house. So they take her and they plaster on the side of the house and she's laying there sort of like this and you know, and she's still moving around because she's falling down the flannel graph. And, and, and listen, we, 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 we can kind of uh, sanitize this moment. But this guy, think about how human the scriptures are for a moment. Think about how human Jesus is for a moment. Think about how human the story is for a moment. This guy just lost his daughter. And he's desperate. He's a broken father. And my guess is the family that had gathered around, they were broken people. 
And the friends that had gathered around to bring consolation, they were broken for this man. And then it says that Jesus comes in and, uh, and, and into this ruler's house. And now when you think about this, he calls for Jesus. See, here's a ruler of the people. He's a man of influence. He's, he's an official of Rome in some sort of way. And all of a sudden, like he has the ability to call whoever he wants. But he's at, a, he's at this point where he's like, who am I going to call? Nobody raises the dead. I'm out of favors to call. There's nobody I can, uh, can assign to this task. There's no doctor amount of money that I can spend. My daughter is dead and nobody raises the dead. And all of a sudden, we don't know how it happened. Maybe he thought of it. Maybe somebody else told him about it. But he goes, I've heard of a man, a rabbi, a teacher from God, who's going around doing some pretty crazy stuff in Galilee. And he goes on a search. And this father goes and finds this man because he's desperate. And he calls to Jesus. He says, if you would just come, you've got to come with me. And so it says that Jesus enters this man's house. And and it says that when Jesus entered the house, he saw flute players and a noisy crowd. All the people, they were like having the funeral deal, the music deal, the, the, the eulogy deal right inside the house. They had all gathered around. And Jesus comes in and he goes, you all, you all need to go away right now. All of y'all, just, just get out of town. Just get out of the house. I got some business to do. Listen to what he says. He goes, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. Now, pause. Is the girl dead or is the girl asleep? We have a theological question here, right? Because the scripture records that she's dead, but Jesus comes in and says she's asleep. Which is it? Is she dead or is she asleep? What's your answer? She's dead. She's dead. And I'm going to get to this in a second. Listen, she's dead. But Jesus says it in a very particular way because he wants to come in. We're going to see this. He wants to come in and kind of diffuse the situation. He wants to say, listen, this isn't about me. This is about the glory of God being seen in me. Now we're just going to take this easy, calm. She's okay. We're going to be fine here. But the people react. Listen to this. This is amazing. Um, uh, he, so he says, no, she's not dead. She's asleep. No worries. Right. And they're like, well, no, she is really dead because we do not show up and play the flute for napping girls. <laughs> we don't show up and bring crackers and cheese and donuts for girls who are taking a nap. She's dead. She's been dead for a while because they made a search for you. And we watch this girl. She's dead. She's not moving. It's not like the flannel graph falling down the side of the house. And then the scripture records something um, kind of crazy here. It says, he says this to them. And then it says, but they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Why did they laugh? Because they knew the girl was dead. And they thought, finally, the great rabbi has lost his mind. Finally, the great rabbi was wrong. And so they laughed at him. Now, let me tell you something. This is just my opinion. You can kill Jesus but you don't want to laugh at him because you're going to be holding the bag every time because Jesus was like, oh yeah, you ain't seen the power of God. My father made through me. You haven't seen this yet. So he, he, they say, it says that they laughed and then it says this, verse 25, after the crowd had been put outside, pause for a second, this father, he, he, he sees this and he's going, you, you guys are laughing? He's my only hope. 
I don't see any of you guys healing lame people or making blind people see. And so we don't know this exactly how this went down, but obviously the man of the house, the ruler of the house, the, 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 the father, he puts these people out because Jesus is his only hope. Anybody? He's his only hope. And so listen to this. This is what the scripture says. After the crowd has been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. We are such a sad group of people. Look at us. We're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Listen, I, 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 listen, I want to go to a church when, when he comes and he takes the hand of a dead girl and she gets up and walks. Listen, I, I want to be part of a church that no matter how many times you've seen this, heard this story, I don't care how many times you went to Easter and you heard about a dead man walking, I don't care how many times you saw the flannel grass story in Sunday school growing up, I do not want to be part of a church that goes, oh, that's really, really kind of cool. I want a church that when a dead girl is taken by the hand of Jesus and she gets up and walks, that we go, rock on, amen to that. That we go, that's what I'm about. Listen, uh, I, I was in fourth grade uh, Sunday school, Mrs. Newsom. She was like a rock star to me. I mean, she, she taught me about Jesus and she was good on the flannel graph thing. She really was. I mean, she had the whole deal. And I remember this story because she had the house and the little girl plastered on the side. And, and, but the funny thing is like the Jesus character who came walking into the house, um, it was a boy. It was not Jesus, but we could tell that it was Jesus because she must have lost the real Jesus character because she took a felt marker and drew in a big beard. True story. It's crazy. And you know what we used to do? When they would tell these stories, we'd go, aw. I do not want aw. When the power of God is seen in our life, there ought to be something inside of us that just goes, yeah. Amen. There ought to be something that moves inside of us and cheers inside of us. Amen? You hear me, friends? And so here's the kicker. And, and this is huge. It says, verse 26, that after she gets up and walk, it says, news of this spread throughout the entire region. No kidding. Could, could you imagine if they had Facebook back then? I mean, this would be crazy, right? But it says that you can't keep a story like this. And so this is the whole point of Jesus says, he says, no, she's not dead. She's asleep because he's trying to keep it on the download. Because listen, Jesus didn't want to walk in and, and go, hey, look at me, everybody. Look at me, everybody. Look at me, everybody. Hey, check it out. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. He knew humanity. He knew that they couldn't keep their mouth shut. He knew that they would tell the story of God. He didn't need to go tooting his own horn. Y'all hear me on this? So here's what it says. It says that Jesus goes in and he heals and now the news is spreading throughout the entire region. Now check out verse 27. This is an amazing thing. Jesus heals two blind guys. Check this out, verse 27. As he went out from there, so he leaves his house, two blind men followed him. No kidding. I mean, can you imagine if you're a blind guy and you hear about the paralytic story, you hear about a dead girl coming back to life. I'm thinking I'm getting on my horse and I'm following this guy no matter where he goes. Y'all, y'all with me on this? I mean, like we got, we got people like in, in our church who are here often to my right. Like tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock, we have uh, people who, who signed for the deaf community that sits right over here. And it's an amazing thing. But if I'm deaf 
and I hear that there's a guy out there who just raised a girl uh, from the dead, I am following. I am going, I want some of that junk right now. I want some of that in my life right now. And so you see these blind guys are like, hey, slow down. We can't keep up, you know? And, and so it's like crazy, right? And they're trying to get there and they're trying to follow along, but they can't follow along. They're blind. So what do they do? They use their voice. And the scripture records something amazing. They can't keep up. And so what do they do? They go, they start shouting, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us. Son of David was another expression for Messiah, was another expression for the Savior. They were calling out for God to do something miraculous in their lives. And then it says this, verse 28, this is so good. It says, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came in. They're like, we're going in too. You can't keep us out. You kidding me? So they make their way in. And it says, he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they're like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You are our only hope. We've been this way all our life. We need something that you have that only you can give. Listen to this, verse 29. It says, then he touches their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, this just doesn't happen every day. I don't know how many of you are hanging out with like blind people who are blind all their life and all of a sudden they're touched in some way and now they see. But Jesus warns them sternly. This is amazing. He says, see that no one knows about this. <laughs> what? And I'm not even sure exactly why, but the only thing I can conclude is that Jesus knows humanity. Jesus knew that no matter what, they were going to tell their story. He says, it's not about me right at this moment. It's about the glory of God being made real through my life. And he gets out of town. Now check this out. It says this. But they went, and here's the key verse. We, we need to land on this. This is what this whole day is about right here. It says this, verse 31. But they went out and they spread news about, about him. Not about like, oh, we were blind, but now like we see all over and we like, we never saw red before. That was so cool. Red is awesome. They were like, we spread news about him. Not about like, hey, this is like our chance. This is like our chance in life. We're going to write a book about this because we can capitalize on this. This was not the deal. It says they spread news about him all over the region. It wasn't like, oh man, we were blind for all this time, but now like we went bowling last Friday night. This is amazing. Like we bowled before, but we never realized how far off we were. We didn't realize those pens were so far down. We've been throwing the ball short all this time. They were like, no, it is about him. It was not about them. It was all about him. And they began to speak his name. And everybody in that region was talking about the name of Jesus. So let me ask you something. Has Jesus done anything in your life? I mean, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe you, you weren't dead. Maybe you weren't blind. But you were dead. And you were blind. And he breathed a new life in you. 
He breathed a new direction in you, a new hope in you, a second rebirth inside of you. He he made eyes that could only see selfishness and self-absorption to see the bigness and the greatness and the glory of God. He made something different inside of you. And could you imagine what would happen if those in our little church would stop talking about a band, about a song, about a building or a preacher or a community of faith, and we would start talking about the name of Jesus. This city could be turned upside down. Everybody in our region would hear about us. You see, because there has got to come a point in all of our lives when, when what we love on the inside comes out of our lips. I'm a daddy, and I'm a proud daddy. If you hang around me long enough, let me tell you, my friends will tell you, I brag about my kids. I don't care. I love them. I talk about our church because I love our church. I talk about all kinds of things that I'm into, and so do you. But could you imagine if we talk less about the stuff and more about him? Could you imagine what would happen if his name was to somehow come off of our lips? Listen, friends, um, I'm inviting our church into this, to this uncomfortable state of boldness where, where eventually at our family gatherings, at our Christmas parties, at, at, our, at our anniversaries and our birthdays, in our neighborhood little block parties, at the office by the cooler, that his name would be spoken by us. Because what matters most to us ultimately comes out of us. I'm dreaming of a day when it's a lot less talk about the stuff of the kingdom and more about the king of the kingdom. That's what it needs to be about. Are you hear me, friends? And I'm not talking about um, being weird or being pushy or having like an agenda on somebody. I'm just talking about letting what's in us come to our lips because we love him. Listen, um, Metro is not river. Metro's not going to change your family. Metro's not going to change the state, this nation, or this world. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So, Son of God, we come before you. And I, I just confess, I am so sorry for speaking about all kinds of other things, about Christian everything, but speaking so little of who you are and what you have done for me, for my wife, for my kids, for my family. God, as a church, I pray that you would make us bold. that we would love you in such a way that we can't hide you anymore. 
and that we'd be far more wrapped up with you and in you and about you than all the things you give us. We speak your name tonight. The name of Jesus. It's a beautiful name. Powerful. Glorious. Wonderful. Lovely. Matchless. Name of Jesus. We give glory to you, Jesus. We want our breath to reflect you. We want our stories to reflect you. We want our words to reflect you. Jesus. Speak, oh God. church that gets it right. Let's not get wrapped up in youth ministries, in songs, bands, preachers, chairs, building lights. Let's become consumed with Jesus. Amen. Amen.